Hi, and welcome to the Trusted Executive Podcast. I'm here with Dr. John Blakey, the founder of the Trusted Executive Foundation, which helps CEOs and leaders across all sectors around the globe create a new standard of leadership defined by trustworthiness. John's work has been featured in Forbes, BBC News, HuffPost, and the Sunday Times. So welcome, John. Good afternoon, David. Delighted to be here again for our final habit of the nine habits of trust. That's right. What a journey, John. And those that have been watching, listening will, of course, know that the idea of this podcast is to help you as listeners gain a practical understanding of the potential benefits of the trusted executive model to you through taking a deep dive with each of the nine leadership habits which underpin the model. Now, as you say in the book, John, I didn't just dream up these nine habits over a glass of red wine. They're a product of six years of evidence-based research at Aston Business School for your doctorate, involving over 500 board-level leaders. And with a deep passion, you offer the business world an academically rigorous and relevant answer to the question, how do I do trust and just why does it matter? So, John from your research and as an introduction for those perhaps listening for the first time or perhaps those wanting a refresher, why should they care about trust? And in a nutshell, what did you discover in your research? Yeah, so why should you care about trust? Um, Stephen Covey wrote in his book, The Speed of Trust, trust is the one thing that changes everything. You know, that's a soundbite. Equally from an academic perspective, there are numerous studies and research studies out there that demonstrate the impact, the positive impact of high trust cultures on all sorts of valuable business outcomes, whether that be employee engagement, uh, productivity, uh, stress, uh, profitability, innovation, creativity, uh, all of these um, outcomes that we care about in business can be influenced by building trust in your culture. So my research was very much focused on, as you said, how do I do this? If it's if it's that important and everybody tells us it's that important. How do I do it? Can you make this or trust something practical and manageable? And that's what the focus of the research and this work has been, is to give practical leaders a roadmap to allow them to take their trust-building skills to the next level. Uh, and today we're looking at that third pillar, the three pillars of trust, ability, integrity, benevolence. Uh, we've looked at three habits under each, and today is our last habit under the benevolence fil- uh, pillar, choosing to be kind. Mm, Thank you, John. And I must say, I'm really looking forward to exploring this habit, choosing to be kind. It's perhaps not one that is traditionally uh, seen or even embodied in the boardroom. And I always say, actually, that I'm always drawn by the model around how each habit uh, starts with the word choosing. And this makes it very intentional for me. And as you say, it's not a one-off. It's a habit of an accumulation of choices. So for you, John, I'm looking forward to hear what does this habit, choosing to be kind, mean for you and what benefits does it provide? Yeah, choosing to be kind, as you said, David, maybe of all the words that we've used for these nine habits, maybe choosing to be kind is the one that we've heard least of in the boardroom, typically. And often we talk about this shift from the world of power to the world of trust. So the shift from the industrial age, where the currency of leadership has typically been power and power-based habits, to the social age, where the currency of leadership is trust and trust-based habits. Now, in the power-based world, you didn't need this habit of kindness. I mean, if you brought it, it was an optional extra because you were a human being. 
But if you parked it at the reception desk of your business and just walked in and left your humanity behind conveniently at the front door, <laughs> then strictly speaking, it wouldn't have mattered in that world of power. You could still deliver and be successful and do all the things that that world of power needed you to do. But in the world of trust, we need to insource this benevolence. We need to insource this kindness because we know that trust is a multiplier of ability times integrity times benevolence. So you could be fantastically competent at what you do. You can be as honest as the day is long. You can tick all those other habits. But if you're routinely negligent or careless about your stakeholders, if you are unkind to your stakeholders, you will not be trusted because this is from the research, one of the nine habits and we need to cover all the bases. So now is the time to insource kindness. I hope that's good news for our listeners. I hope they, I hope they, <laughs> they, they like the idea that, you know, permission to be kind folks, uh, you, can, you don't need to leave your humanity at the reception desk anymore. You can bring it into your workplace and it will deliver this triple bottom line of results, relationships and reputation. It will be part of what you need to make this model work. Uh, but I hope that's good news because I hope that we all want to live in a kinder world. Mm, thank you, John. And as you know, I'm in total agreement with that. Uh, my own research at Durham University Business School, I got pulled into it really because one of the leading academics in the world spoke about how he was tired of, of coming to work taking his jacket off, being one per one person he was supposed to be at work, which I guess probably excluded kindness or wasn't part of the role, put his jacket back on and then went home and was someone else. So I think this sense of embodied kindness is so important. And what's coming to my mind, and shall I bring it, I should bring it up straight and centre if you like, you actually say in the book that, and it's an interesting one, you say that the opposite of kindness is not negligence, sorry, is negligence, not cruelty. Mm. It's been interesting that because I would have gone, oh, it's got to be cruelty when someone's intentionally not kind. That for me is cruel. So why do you actually say it's negligence, not cruelty? Yeah, to me, negligence is uh, is almost a bigger crime than cruelty uh, because because negligence implies that you don't care. You just don't care. <laughs> you, you don't even have the energy to be cruel about something. You just don't care. And uh, I think you know, careless, you know, I, I used that word earlier about if you're routinely careless about your stakeholders. So if you don't care, then to me, that's the opposite of, of being kind. Um, I mean, I tell this, I tell the story in the, in, in the book, don't I, of the, the very negligent experience I had in, in my career where I was, I was hosting a, a very important client in the boardroom of the organization I was working for, which, which will remain nameless. And, um, and at the meeting finished and I got up to leave the room with the client and we came up to a set of double doors on the way to the lift. And I stepped back to let the client go first and coming in the opposite direction, I saw one of the managing directors of the business. And I realized that the two of them were going to hit the double doors at exactly the same time. And sure enough, they did. And they got caught up in a rare old model. And then I heard these words, these cringeworthy words where I heard, my own managing director saying to one of our most important clients who he did not recognize, but saying to him, just get out of the effing way. Oh. And I could have, I wish the ground could have swallowed me up in that moment. And uh, as we walked towards the lift, and I actually didn't add this, this is what happened. I didn't tell this part in the book, but as we walked to the list, lift, the client said to me, who the hell was that? And I said to him, <laughs> I've got no idea. 
because I couldn't bring myself to admit that this was the managing director of the business. Uh, anyway, you know, we didn't get the business that we hoped to get from that client. And I'm sure that that experience of negligence, mm. that careless moment, uh, was what broke the trust in that relationship. You know, I'm going to talk, I'm sure, later about tiny noticeable things, TNTs. TNTs can work for kindness or they can work against kindness. And that was a TNT, a tiny noticeable thing. Just get out of the effing way. That was the moment the trust was lost in that relationship. Um, and it's these, it's these little moments with kindness that make the difference. They can either make someone's day or you can ruin someone's day with this habit. Um, mm. So it's very different to the other habits in that respect because it operates at a different frequency. If I can, if I can put it that way, kindness operates at a different frequency to habits like honesty or coaching or, or being humble. It, it operates at its own unique frequency. Mm. And it seems to me, John, actually, that this this aspect of kindness, just as you were telling your story, has a, an ability to connect you with someone to actually say to build up that trust because when you have I think when you receive an act of kindness it really has a sense of actually you know it's an appreciation I think from my perspective and then actually being grateful that someone has noticed you and I wanted you to speak about one of the examples in the book and I probably got the name wrong or pronounced it wrong is it Mondelez International you speak about yeah. that in the book would you like yeah. to talk about that from your experience and what that meant to you really yeah Mondelez International used to be Cadbury and, and I used to work at Cadbury many years ago, but I wasn't working for Cadbury when this incident happened. I was actually a supplier to Cadbury um, in a business. And I was invited to go along to a meeting one day at uh, Mondelez offices in, uh, in Birmingham. And uh, we sat down, had the cup of coffee, started the meeting, agreed the agenda, all the usual things, all the usual boxes were ticked. And then halfway through the meeting, the door opened and a lady walked in and, and with two bags um, of unknown contents and, and dropped one next to me and one next to my colleague who had come for the same meeting. And we were sat there, we were talking, and I couldn't resist the temptation to have a little peek into this bag, you know, this mystery parcel that appeared. And I peeked into it, and, and to, my, to my joy, I saw a bag full of chocolate because, of course, Mondelez was a confectionery mm. company. And I couldn't believe the impact this had on me. And, I, and when I got home, I said, saying, but when I got home that evening, I, I charged into the kitchen you know, lifting this bag of goodies uh, high and, and, and declared to my wife, Jane, and my, my two sons, you know, I've got some free chocolate. And uh, they couldn't understand why I was so delighted about this idea of free chocolate. But of course, what I was really delighted about was the random act of kindness, yes. that I'd been in a corporate setting and this kindness had broken through. It had broken through the ritual and the formality of corporate life. And it made that connection, David, that you mentioned. It made that heart-to-heart -heart connection. And it makes a difference. And did I trust Mondelez more because of that action? Yes, I did. I trusted that they uh, cared, uh, that they weren't careless, that, that they were intentional, because actually they explained to me that they had a policy of um, random acts of kindness. That was part of their mm. policy, was that each day we're going to do a random act of kindness, and you're going, wow, what an amazing idea. What, what, what if we all just woke up each day and said, you know what, today there's going to be one random act of kindness, uh, and, and in our company, however many people work here, if there's a 1,000 people who work here, we're going to have a 1,000 random, random acts of kindness. 
Uh, is that going to make a difference to a culture? Of course it is. Mm. You know, so this is the power, the hidden power. I often talk about kindness as a purple dye. You know, all it takes is one drop. And the whole complexion of a situation changes. Uh, that it only needs one drop. This is why it operates at a different frequency to the other habits. You just need that little drop, that little injection of kindness, and it will change the complexion of the whole situation. Absolutely does, John. And, and I think one of one of my stories around that, a very quick one, would be because I think it's relevant because quite often I think as business execs, we can be rushing from one meeting to another. And in that rush, and there has been academic studies that look to this, we can overlook people's needs, which we'll come on to needs in a second. But this instance for me was I was actually in Birmingham in town and I was rushing to get to a client and I saw a woman selling the big issue and I hadn't got time really to stop, John. But something inside me just said, just stop, buy a big issue, but have a quick word with her. So I did that and through a quick, well, through a conversation, I found out how she was and the conditions weren't great for her. And I probably got on the next train after I missed my train, but I felt it was worth having a conversation with her. And she thanked me. She said, thank you for stopping and, and, and talking to me. Next time I was in Birmingham, I went to look for her. She wasn't there. And when I found someone on a pitch, I said, where is she? And I said, oh, she's now living with her sister. She's doing this. She's in a better place now. And I didn't know if it was me or someone else, but just this sense of having, because I had spoke about her personal condition, how she was getting on, may have just that act of kindness, random act of or intentional or random act of kindness may well have just got thinking mm, i need to do something about this so it, i think these random acts of kindness of course, can be transformational yeah yeah and if you if you let go of needing to know the end outcome yeah uh, and you just focus on that moment of connection um but in a culture if everybody is doing that uh, do you think that it would add up to something different, something special, something transformative? Yes, I, I, I do, because we all know the opposite. We all know the uh, the cultures that collapse in on themselves through random acts of negligence. I mean, how many random acts of negligence do we experience in, in business life each day of the, of the week? Um, and we know that that builds up, that accumulates, and that, you know, this aggregate, you know, we're talking about, people talk about the aggregation of marginal gains. You know, David Brailsford's formula for winning Olympic medals, you know. But what about the aggregation of marginal decay? Mm. You know, marginal decays in that goodwill in a culture. It happens just silently, day by day. Um, either we're losing this, uh, this magic over a period of time or we're building it and we're investing in it. And this habit is, is absolutely key to, to that investment process um, uh, over a period of time. And as you said, John, these can just be actually very tiny things. But the one thing I just wanted to pull out, because you mentioned it in the book, and it's for me, we keep coming back to trust executive for me anyway, around linking to emotional intelligence. And I think you speak about the importance of understanding the needs of the people in the organization. And also you talk about um, how kindness is linked into care and empathy as well. So there's tremendous um, presence around this, you know, a caring presence. And we've spoken before, John, about how I've said, you know, from we all have masculine and feminine traits. If the masculine one is strong, the feminine one is caring. You know, this kindness really doesn't just pull exclusively on that, but it has a special link, as you say, into care and empathy and understanding needs. So would you like to share a bit about that and what, what that means? Yeah, because I think that word care that you use is the more common word that's used at the moment in business. We talk about... <laughs> 
um, care rather than kindness. I happen to think that we'll talk much more about the K word in, in, in the months and years to come. Mm. But, but when I interviewed the, the CEOs that I interviewed for the research, um, it was interesting some of the quotes that they came out with when you when you asked them, you know, what is it that inspires trust? Um, and, you know, I'll just share with you a couple of those on this theme. You know, one of the CEOs said the CEO doesn't need to do everything, but they do need to care about everything. Uh, another CEO said a lack of care for the principal stakeholders destroys trustworthiness. So, again, we talked about that lack of care. And then I had a, a final quote from a, a CEO who said, Every customer that complains in our company gets a letter back from me as the CEO. Those customers go straight on social media and they cry, hallelujah, this company cares about me. And let's be honest, in this country, that is quite unusual. And that was from a CEO saying that, you know, within these days of social media and the transparency around uh, you know, our acts of negligence or our acts of, of kindness. Social media amplifies that. It shows people that, that that tiny drop of kindness, it takes it and it will make an ocean out of it on social media. And you've got to decide whether that's, a, you know, a, 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 a big black ocean of negligence or is it a great sort of purple ocean of kindness if we, if we you know, go with that sort of uh, that metaphor? Because um, social media is that extra factor these days that is the amplifier of, of all of these habits. But I think particularly with kindness, it will turbocharge a kind culture and a, and a negligent culture will be exposed and held accountable much more ruthlessly than it ever used to be. Mm. And I'm reminded actually of the book. There's a book, um, How to Be an Adult by David Rico, is uh, based in uh, San Francisco, actually. I think he's a psychologist. And he talks, he's five A's, he talks about the importance of um, accepting someone, of actually, he's five A's, you know, of actually um, accepting someone, appreciating someone, taking time also to, to understand them. And this seems to really sit in this area that actually you're taking time to, to make a difference to someone who's within your organisation. And so, as you said, sometimes it can be just something that's just extremely small, but it's meaningful to that person. And it really, I think what it says, John, to me is it it gives a message as well as that connection. I spoke about the connection. I always think one of the most important things is they get a feeling of that this is not uh, artificial. But I think what they're left with is that the sense of I matter in this organization. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be a simple thank you. It can be a well done it can be a happy birthday. It can be a, you know, how's your mother? I heard she was in hospital. Um, it's it's these these um, literally three to five second bursts of um, connection and and uh, inquiry that that will will generate that feeling that you that you matter. Yeah, that I, I matter. This isn't a faceless anonymous uh, relationship. I, I matter in this organisation as an individual. Um, and I'm respected and and uh, acknowledged for that. So, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to work in an environment like that? And increasingly, I think again, the younger pop, the younger uh, generations, uh, they're not going to see this as an optional extra like like I did. Uh, you know, when when I was entering the workforce, they're going to see this as an essential requirement of a culture that they want to give their talent to. Um, and you know, it's a completely different um, psychological contract than it ever was um and i don't see that sort of changing in fact i see it getting you know more and more accelerating uh, as we as we go through the coming years 
Mm. And I think at this point, actually, I might just want to encourage those that are watching and listening, just perhaps just take a second to reflect on what was a random act of kindness, you know, how they're going to actually perhaps embody this in their organization, perhaps today, tomorrow, this week in the workplace. And also how they're going to do it with with stakeholders as well. And just to close on this one, you've already mentioned, John, and to my mind, I, I really agree the importance of of actually responding to customer complaints. I think that's important. But one, I can pick another example is how many times do I hear from colleagues that are perhaps in the workplace that are going for a job? They put in an application, they never hear anything at all back. And I always think, I see it's an act of kindness just for that organization, perhaps just to say, thank you for your application. We haven't taken you forward, but we appreciate you taking the time because it takes time to fill in these application forms. We're wishing you all the best. That would take, you know, a minute or so or less than that, you know. But for those people say, ah, actually, I know where I am. They've actually cared for me. That they're going to carry that brand, that organization forward in their hearts, in their minds. There's actually, this is an organization I can trust. Yes. Yeah. And I think one of the rules of thumb that you can use with this is just asking yourself the question, is this the way I would treat a person in my personal life, a person who was important to me in my personal life? Is this the way I would treat a friend or a member of my family? Because I think if you put that acid test around a lot of the um, accepted norms in business, you, you would find a lot of behaviors that fell below that threshold that there's no way on earth you would treat your friend in this way or a member of your family in this way. And, uh, you know, why have, why, have we, why have we tolerated that? Why have we created cultures that have normalised that and institutionalised that? You know, you know because, because we have allowed that to happen, but I think we are at a time now where we can choose uh, to, to remove that distinction between the world of work and our personal lives and, and to, to have the same standards and expectations in this area in, in all aspects of our life. Thank you. And that's a wonderful um, expression, I think, of saying treating them as if, you know, it's one of your closest friends or a member of the family. And really, you know, to, to honour them, to really, from, from that perspective, I think that is just, um, that just feels like it's so important. And one final point, that because I know people who read the book will probably say, David, ask him a question about this. So you mentioned in the book and around the, you, you introduced the model of transactional analysis mm. in connection with kindness. So how does that work? Yeah, I was reading that part of the book again this morning <laughs> and uh, I realised it's it's quite, it, it might be quite complicated when it, when you come across that at first glance. How, how would transaction analysis and the idea of parent, adult, child work with this habit? So let me try and let me try and express this as simply and as briefly as possible. Really, the premise behind introducing that transaction analysis model is in the world of power, um, you've basically had a parental model, uh, a, a parent uh, in authority um, was expected to take responsibility and also expected to protect um, and take care of um, employees, for example. It was a very parental, um, patriarchal, uh, if you like, approach. Um, but in the world of trust, you don't need that authority figure. You don't need that patriarchal approach because it's a much more inclusive, trust-based um, approach. But what that means is that um, you have to also recognize that in that environment, the child in all of us still, still wants to feel protected and cared for. And if it isn't going to be protected and cared for by this authoritarian parent figure, it needs to be protected and cared for by uh, the adult in each of us. 
So I think that's that's one of the ways of seeing why kindness becomes more important the moment you 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 sort of evolve out of this authoritarian uh, structure, um, because we again we we outsourced the protection to this authority figure but if we're now going to take responsibility for that we also have to take responsibility for being kind to each other so that we reassure that little child in each of us that it's safe around here i mean people talk about psychological safety it's the same idea you know it's it's that little child in each of us that wants to feel safe in the workplace and if we're not going to have these authoritarian structures we we then have to take responsibility for creating some kindness that allows you know that part of us to say yeah it's okay, I matter, I'm cared for, um, and it's okay around here. You know, I don't need to panic, I don't need to sort of uh, lock down, I, I, can be, I can be my full self and bring my full self to this situation. So I hope that explains it a little bit, David. It's, a, it's, a, it's quite a sort of, um, quite a, a jump to make, um, but I do think you can use models like that to understand a bit more about what's going on in this shift. Mm, yes, thank you, John. Now that does clarify it. And it also, if those that have been, you know, again, watching and listening will know what I love about Trusted Executive is you bring in not just those sort of models, but whatever the organization is using, you know, that can come to the table and, and work alongside the Trusted Executive model, which I think is one of its, you know, one of its, its many powerful aspects to it. So we've been speaking a lot about um, what it means in practice. This is, and people are probably getting a real sense of what this might mean. Um, but we come to this element in the part in the podcast where we say, how have executives actually used this leadership habit to make a real difference in their organisation? So this final one I, I've recorded is we had to do an interview with Fiona Furman. It's slightly longer this time, but it felt important. And actually, although we've not planned this, because this, this interview with Fiona was um, was pre-recorded, she, you'll, you'll notice she speaks a lot about uh, understanding needs and the care and empathy and what an impact it actually had on her as well. So we're going to now hear from uh, Fiona Furman. She's communications manager from the NAHL group who've embedded the trusted executive model in their organization. So we'll find out how they've used choosing to be kind. And and I look forward to uh, hearing your response to this, John. So once again, I'm with Fiona Furman, the communications manager with the NHAL group, a group of consumer legal businesses, including National Accident Helpline. And as an organization, NAHL are using the trusted executive framework to empower the way they work and serve their customers. Now, today we're in the third pillar of trust's worthiness, that of benevolence, the extent to which we walk our talk. And today we're moving on to the final and the ninth leadership habit, choosing to be kind. So Fiona, how have you used the ninth leadership habit, choosing to be kind within NHAL to make a real difference in your organisation? I feel really, really fortunate because at NAHL being kind is very much just in our DNA and that goes right from the top you know right the way through uh, through the business which is a really privileged I think place to be which is a sad thing to say really because it should be the norm um, but it, it feels like a, a really privileged place to be and um, I've worked in other kind environments before and with other individuals who have been um, shown great kindness to, to their colleagues but for it to be so endemic uh, in the business um, that that is that is quite new for me and um, I tend to refer to or have referred previously to kindness in the uh, in the business context as being um, a great powerhouse um, of, of of leadership because I, I think it just is so incredibly powerful and we see that in our business you know all, all the time we see great acts of, of kindness in our business and it goes right the way through um, how we manage 
all all the situations that we manage you know when we've had times when we've had to you know unfortunately let people go um and they've and they've quite often said listen i'd just love to come back because you've done that you know you've been really kind in the way that you've done this and we've always done that in a and we've always done that had that unfortunate conversation with people in as kind and and generous a way as we can giving them as much help and support along the way as possible and certainly when we during the, the covid um lockdown when we had to let a very small number of people go from our business um we were very intent on ensuring that we gave them a lot of support um and we were able to help them with their cvs and um you know interview help and interview prep and and that kind of thing so you know we really did walk the talk in in that sense but it's also really clear in our business in, in the little ways as well and and for me, so I, for the last, oh gosh, forever, um, I've been living with, um, with um, a, a chronic condition. And part of that condition meant that I would quite I would feel washed out some of the time. I'd be in a lot of pain. Um, but a hot water bottle would would sometimes kind of take away the worst of worst of that. And I was working on a big project with a very tight deadline. So not being in work wasn't an option. And so I came into the office and I was sitting in a hot water bottle and working away. And um, I wasn't at my desk. I was at another desk. I was working with somebody else. And I went I went off um, to to uh, to use the bathroom. And I came back and my my director was in the kitchen filling my hot water bottle with hot water. And I went to get something from my desk and I came back, he'd just done it up and left it on the table. Didn't say a word, didn't say, oh, by the way, Fiona, I've, I've done a hot water bottle for you, so you should be all right for another hour or two. There was none of that. He just did it, left it there, walked away, went back into his office and, you know, it was never spoken of. Um, but it was such an incredibly kind very small thing you know he probably thought in his head it was a very small thing that he did and it meant so so much to me it was that recognition that he realized that I was you know sacrificing myself in a way because what I wouldn't have given to be curled up in, in my bed that day um and he was recognizing that and saying listen let me just make that a little bit a little bit easier for you I recognize what you're doing and that's the message that I think um kindness in leadership really helps convey to our people is that you know I recognize uh, that that you're in a situation where me showing that kindness to you is of great value to you and i can't tell you the difference it, it made to me i tell that story all the time to people i'm yeah. very dull about it <laughs> that, that is, I, I love that story and, and familiarly as you were talking it's just a sense that you were recognized as a human being as opposed to being an organizational asset to be exactly worked right. if that makes sense so no, that's exactly right. being recognized for who you are and whatever that means you know i was being recognized for the fact that you know i had this skill set that nobody else could do that piece of work but also that i was doing it within these confines of this condition that i was living with and you know it was just that whole package of kind of saying you know you're not just the job that you do you are the person who you are and yeah that 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 comes across so clearly so often um at, at an nhl group right across our businesses it's a really it's a really fantastic Thing to experience and to witness when you see it in other mm, people. Well. I get that. Now, now, we always choose to dig a little deeper, and, and I want to ask you what for you has been a personal insight or a personal growth moment through using the choosing to be kind leadership habit? I think I sort of touched on a little bit there, really, but I think what, I, what I've really recognized is the enormous impact that very small kindnesses can have, um, and it's the very big impact they can have on the individual on, who receives that kindness, but also the way that they then share that kindness mm -hmm. out. Um, so if I go back to my story with the hot water bottle, you know, I witnessed that kindness and I then see in other people places where, you know, I could do a really small thing that I know because I've had it done to me, 
that I know will make a big difference to them. And so I think just um, the understanding of the, the enormity of that impact um, and how it shapes and changes a person's view, not only of the individual who's showing that kindness, but of the organisation broadly. You know, so often um, at NAHL something will happen and I'll think, oh, that was really great of that person. But then I realise that actually the organisation has to support that and allow that and promote that um, in order for that person to feel able to, to, um, to do that particular act, to, to make that offer of, of help and support when a person really needs it. And so I think, um, I think the impact is, is absolutely key to, um, to how choosing to be kind um, can, can really, I, I think, change the whole, the whole shape of a business um, and certainly the way, that, the way that its leadership behaves. It's absolutely mm. Thank you, Fiona. And before uh, I go back to John, I just really want to say this is the last one of the ones we're doing, the, the ninth and, and final habit, and just really say a big thank you to you for being so kind in turning up for these uh, podcasts and, and giving your experience so that the listeners and those watching can actually learn about how the trusted executive model is being used in practice. So thank you ever so much, Fiona. No problem at all. Thank you. So, John, actually, I'm uh, quite moved, even by watching that replay. And uh, I can't wait to hear what you have to say, because so much came out of that. Yes, you, as you probably have, you probably made notes. So, so, John, what would you like to say in response to Fiona's share? Well, first thing, David, is to reiterate what you said at the end. I mean, if, uh, Fiona, if you are listening to this, thank you very much for the time you put into this podcast and your sharing and your role modelling of all of these habits. So it's been a fantastic help to us. So uh, thank you for that kindness. Um, yeah, fascinating to listen to uh, Fiona. I couldn't help but think, you know, David, when she was talking about the hot water bottle, because we we talk about water cooler moments, don't we? Mm. Uh, and this, of course, was a water warmer moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, she's introduced a new a new a new sort of uh, management sort of cliche there. I think is don't don't forget about the water cooler moments, but focus on the water warmer moments because, yeah, it, what a fantastic example of a random act of kindness, a tiny noticeable thing that wasn't even talked about. It was, you know, there wasn't even any words exchanged. It was just that that action. So that struck me as a really powerful example. I also liked it when Fiona talked about the role that leaders have in legitimizing this behavior in a culture. So it's a one thing for you as the leader to exhibit a random act of kindness. Uh, but what do you do when you see kindness uh, appear amongst your colleagues or or in your team what is the role of the leader then well i think that the role of the leader there is is to is to pour attention onto that to, to pour praise onto it to acknowledge it and legitimize it otherwise it just becomes that person's personality if you want to change it from that person's personality to this is the way we do things around here mm -hmm. folks then your leadership role is to make that intervention to say, did you see what Peter just did there? Did you see what Janine did over here? And really shine the spotlight when this happens in order to legitimise it and make it part of the way we do things around here. Yes, yes. And, and quite often, I think one of the definitions I use for culture, I think, in my researches is the way we do things around here. So it becomes part of the fabric. But as you said, it becomes second nature. In, in some ways of how you do things and and the one thing i wanted to bring to to notice both kind of when recording the the podcast with fiona and before she got onto the podcast if you like is one how much she loved this one choosing to be kind and i think you could tell through a sharing 
she was deeply touched by that act of kindness. And really the sense is, you know, she would say to me, I love working for this organization. And I think it was because, you know, the way that act of kindness had been done, and that's one of many I know, but for her, but it really has, she has a joy working there and a commitment and, and it's a sense of, it's, as I said in that thing, she's treated like a human being, not an organizational asset. And that makes a huge difference for me, John. Yeah. And when you said that about the asset, you know, I think of that, you know, what pe- what um, businesses often write in their annual reports about, you know, our people are our greatest asset. Isn't it interesting <laughs> use, isn't it interesting use of language that, that we, on the one, it's like faint praise, isn't it? On the one hand, we've called them the greatest of something, but we've called them the greatest asset. Um, which is often a, a very intangible, uh, you know, lifeless um, uh, sort of material good. So, so I think you know the aspiration here is for is for firms to not think of their people as assets at all, not even the greatest asset, but just think of them as you say, of strip it back to these are human beings. Um, we're not going to call we're not going to call them assets anymore. You know, let, let's get rid of that because you know that's very much to me world of power type language. Um, so it was interesting when you mentioned that, that I just thought, yeah, there's a jar in now of that, that word asset, which is a financial, uh, word at heart being used to describe human beings. There's, there's something, there's something not quite, uh, in sync about that. Absolutely, John. And it does belong. We've spoken about, you know, the patriarch or what I'm going to call the old paradigm and, and having qualifies an accountant. I'm so used to <laughs> having the word asset or actually looking at a P&L and actually managing, managing the P&L through the wage cost to actually see as something to not quite often to be reduced when, when, when you're looking to increase profit. So, you know, so cutting out numbers of staff as if they were just widgets at times, you know, and I've probably done that myself on some of the reviews that I've worked with, particularly for retail organisations where labour makes up quite a, a substantial proportion of this. So, John, we've spoken about uh, the habit itself. We, we have a slot, don't we? And I really love this. So how does this habit, choosing to be kind, work alongside the other habits in the model? Yeah, you know, we're majoring on kindness today, aren't we? And, you know, some people listening might think, oh, you know, crikey, you know, this has gone all wishy-washy and uh, tree-huggy and, uh, <laughs> and and everything else, you know. And I just want to remind uh, everybody who's listening that, you know, D- David, you and I are, are business leaders. We're, we're business people, you know. I, I'm, I'm, I care about success. I care about achievement. So, you know, obviously we look at this habit alongside the habits of delivery and we say that it's, you know, we have to balance being kind with, getting the job done. Uh, I look at it alongside the habits of honesty and openness. You know, it's one thing to be kind to people, but at what point are you honest and open with them about areas where they might be falling short or where goals might not be being achieved or mistakes are being made? You know, it's very important to put kindness in the context of all of these other habits, because if all that you are is kind every day and you don't pay attention to those other habits, you are not going to be trusted. As a leader, you don't build a high trust culture by just being kind. Uh, it's part of it. It's part of it. But we must really remember. Um, and obviously, there's some tension between habits like being honest and being kind. There are some tensions being, between the habit of bravery and being kind, because sometimes you have to do brave things for the success of the organization in the future that one person today might consider to be unkind to them. And how do you reconcile that as a leader you know so there are various dilemmas involved in making some of these decisions about who are you being kind to and and when are you being kind to them 
Um, so I'm not. This isn't. This isn't a, an easy sort of spray paint that you can just uh, you know use to to sort of magic your way into a high trust culture. You 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 have to really think hard about these other habits alongside it. So I'm I'm really glad that we that we that we reassert that alongside everything else that we're saying today about the power of kindness. Yes, and, and I'm remembering actually Fiona mentioned that, didn't she? Because when they had the redundancies coming out of COVID, she spoke of how they took these difficult decisions, but they took them with kindness. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 all, and, and I'm also similarly reminded that, you know, I keep talking about the two aspects of blending together, you know, strength and caring. And I think one of my mentors, one of my mentors, or I know, you know, really cares for me, but there's a strength there. They will quite often, they hold me in what they call fierce love, which what it means is I absolutely know they're there for me, but I absolutely also know they want me to deliver, they want me to do all the other elements of the habits. So it's not just, as you said, <laughs> kindness 24-7. Alongside that is some some real sense of actually, yes, that's important, but actually if we don't deliver things, as you said, I think, right in the very first podcast, what are we here for? So this combination of balancing them together, integrating them seems really important. So, John, um, for listeners out there, how can they get further resources and hands-on experience of this habit, choosing to be kind, to try them out and to make a real difference for themselves in their organisations? Yeah, well, what I'm delighted to share is that we have now uh, built out our website further um, and we now have all of our content for each of these habits gathered together on a single page as part of our our website at trustedexecutive.com. So all the habits there, you will find videos, uh, the podcast, uh, blogs, articles on each of the habits. So that's one go-to place for people if they want to know more. There is a book I'd like to recommend on this particular habit. Um, It's written by a guy called Adrian Webster. And Adrian Adrian Webster is the the guy who first coined this phrase, TNT, Tiny Noticeable Things. And actually, his first book where he used that phrase was a book called Polar Bear Pirates, and their quest to reach Fat City. Uh, uh, seriously, that was the, the book in which he first uh, introduced this concept. I'm very pleased to say that earlier this year, in April 2021, he produced a new book, which is actually just called Tiny Noticeable Things. So rather than looking for polar bear pirates and their quest to reach Fat City, I would recommend people search for Tiny Noticeable Things. I haven't yet read it myself, but the reviews that it's getting on Amazon are fantastic. And what he's collected together in that book is, as the title implies, just numerous examples of stories like the one that uh, Fiona shared with us, um, the water warmer moments. He's got in that book, Tiny Noticeable Things. And and I say, I I would definitely recommend people check out that by Adrian Webster. Mm, Thank you. And I think, John, there's possibly more than one. I think there's a website out there, isn't there, on random acts of kindness with practical materials as well, I think, which people could probably adapt if it isn't already into the into the workplace. Yeah, if you Google random acts of kindness, it's it's a a phrase that's been uh, used a lot to gather together, you know, different initiatives uh, on this heading. So uh, lots of stuff out there. Right. As we we head out on this habit, if you like, we've already um, gone through what choosing to be kind is about. We've heard how executives such as Fiona are using it and the impact it has. And actually something I really love about your very practical book is you have a chapter cracks in the pillar. What to do when things go wrong? And I know this is gritty, grounded realism, as I call it, because I know you're a pragmatist who walks his talk and who actually will honour failure. 
So before we dive deeper, I'd just love to hear from you about what can an organization do when choosing to be kind goes wrong? Yeah, and I think this is very different to the other habits because when things go wrong regarding kindness, it's much more likely that in the short term, nothing drastic happens. You know, if you think of that incident I shared earlier where the, where the, the client and the MD bumped into each other at the, the double doors, nothing immediately happened. No alarm bell started ringing. You know, there was no, no particular disaster. But I think, unfortunately, with, with the problems with this habit when it goes wrong is that it's like hairline cracks start appearing in the pillar of benevolence. And actually, these hairline cracks, uh, on the day that they first appear, are not noticed, but they start to accumulate. And then just one day, the whole pillar crumbles to dust and nobody knows quite how it happened. And I think that's the insidious nature of negligence, uh, the, the, the uh, aggregation of marginal decays you know, in kindness, that these things accumulate, it becomes death by a thousand cuts. Um, so it's a, this is a very important uh, habit to um, to recognize can slip through your hands without you noticing. And I've worked with a number, I talk about it in the book, I've worked with a number of leaders who, who have realized that over time, they have somehow lost their humanity and they never knew what day it was that they lost it. But they suddenly have a bit of a wake-up call where it demonstrates that they've lost that connection to their people um, and actually people actually have stopped caring about them as a result. And eventually that becomes a weight and a stress and a, and a cause of, of potential failure. So this is a difficult one. Um, I think, you know, that um, getting feedback as always helps, you know, getting mm -hmm. feedback, you know, if, if you do the trusted executive nine habits questionnaire and you get feedback on this habit from your colleagues and, and, and team members about this habit of kindness, it's often a very good, you know, early warning system to check that that, goodwill is not slipping through your grasp without you noticing it um so i would i would recommend uh that this you know people ask that leaders ask for feedback particularly around this habit that they're careful about the uh, death by a thousand cuts and um and that they work you know honestly with with uh, this is where i think external coaches can help a great deal to, to sort of if they recognize that there's a challenge here that they that they get that confidential safe space in which they can explore you know how do i how do i tackle this how do i um improve at this particular habit yes i, I agree john and, and also what came to mind i think you mentioned earlier in the podcast you spoke about psychological safety so i think there's an element here for me as well that if i'm an exec that i would want to know that that there's the psychological safety exists for one of the perhaps colleagues or even someone that's working for me is able to say to me, David, what happened there? You know, perhaps that wasn't quite so kind. I'm not sure if you meant this, David, but this is how it came across. Because I'm aware that I have my blind spots. So in that issue, it's, it's I think as you said before in previous podcasts, it's for me to thank them and say thank you for bringing this to my attention. And as you said, maybe getting support from a coach. But quite often, I think we both know, I've certainly worked in a number of organizations where <laughs> that sort of feedback is not welcomed or there's a culture that says you know we, we we don't do that and as you said then the implications of that can be suddenly the pillar collapses and quite often from personal experience john when i've had and it's quite often male white patriarchal leaders when they've actually left or they've perhaps even been made redundant 
you notice that pillar has crumbled because actually no one's really sorry to see them go. I know that sounds blunt, but quite often that's the end result of it. And the culture of the organisation reflects that, John. It's not a, a nice place or a happy place to be when that happens, which is why I think this this habit is just so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the real tragedy of that that I've seen a number of times is that those chief, those executives that you described can leave and then they take these habits into their personal lives and the consequences of that in their personal lives are, are often quite tragic as well. You know, that they that the workplaces have trained them. I call it chief executive syndrome, that you know, it can it can train a leader to lose their humanity. And then the day that they leave their role and they return to normal life, they actually um have, have, have lost that ability to um engage, you know, as a as a normal human being because they've got so used to being in that goldfish bowl of the chief executive syndrome that over time it's like losing the ability you know to to to, to sort of you're not you're not exercising that muscle and it and, and it just atrophies and uh, and then you're left where are you left then you know i think uh, that's a really tragic outcome if that if that happens it is so no no that's a good place to, to almost close that the, the final point about this on this 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 last ninth podcast because it's it's really then saying for me and i'll just segue into the next point but it's really about actually if you really practice these nine habits as i think we said on previous podcasts it's not just in the workplace it's in the home it's in the local community where it's going to pay dividends for you so um, that's why i encourage everyone to you know grab hold of the the book and the trusted executive materials so, John, for a final time, we get to your favourite piece of the podcast where we, we dive a bit deeper. I know you spend a long time researching and developing this model, and I know just how passionate you are about trust and each and every habit, including choosing to be kind. So I'm now going to, as I normally do, invite you to dive a bit deeper and ask you what this habit personally ma- means and matters to you. And as I always say, this is going to be on two levels. So one from you personally, and then I'm inviting you to be vulnerable and explore your faith perspective around this as well. Yeah, thank you, uh, David. So let's yeah let's jump in. I mean, why is this habit important to me personally? Um, well, interestingly, I've had 360 feedback on this model, you know, on all the nine habits. And actually, at the time, I was only testing the tool, but unfortunately, I got some feedback. Um, and as a result of that feedback, I know that this is one of the habits that I need to work on and that I have been working on. I mean, I often joke when I when I present this, you know, I talk about the fact that, you know, I'm a Yorkshireman. My father spent 40 years in the bank. My wife's an accountant. You know, it isn't in my DNA to be kind. Um, I and mean, I'm quite honest about that. This I wasn't born, I'm not a natural at this habit. Um, but what I've realized, because I've seen the power of it um, in other people, and obviously through my research, I've recognized the power of it. I've actually started to consciously work on it myself because I want to be at least consciously incompetent at this habit rather than unconsciously incompetent at it, which is what I was before. So I'm working on this at a personal level. And it, and it's silly little things, David. You know, I, I mean, I share, you know, this when I sit down now at a table and I go to reach the, for the jug of water to pour myself a glass of water, I've developed a habit of always turning to the person next to me and saying, would you like a glass of water? And often, do you know what they say to me when I, when I say that to them? They go, they say, that's very kind of you. Ah. <laughs> and I think, great, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And, and I know I know a lot of people listening to this are thinking, surely you did that before. Surely that's just being polite. And I'm going, I'm sorry, no, this isn't always what I've done. If I'm thirsty, 
I've often just reached for the water and poured myself a glass of water. And sometimes I forget about the person sat next to me. So that's why this is particularly important to me, this habit. It's one that I'm working on myself and I'm still working on. Now, you mentioned about, yeah, faith. And of course, again, part of what has um, challenged me to work on this habit more has been the more deeply I've, I've become you know, committed to my faith as a Christian. Because you know, when, you, when you read the story of, of, of Jesus and you look at his life, you know, what amazes me, David, when I think about that and you think about the habit of delivery ne- sat next to the habit of kindness, right? So here's Jesus, right? He's on a mission. <laughs> He's on a mission and he knows he needs to deliver, right? And it's the most important mission that humanity has ever experienced. So you could sort of understand it if Jesus was too busy to be kind. You could sort of understand it if he was too focused on his mission mm. to forget the immediate people around him and their needs. But what do we see in the story of Jesus? We see that at every moment he diverts himself from from the mission momentarily in order to be kind. He's he's kind. And who is he kind to? He's kind to the outcasts. He's he's kind to the Samaritan sort of refugee. He's kind kind to the beggar. He's kind to the leper. He's he's kind to the tax collector. You know, so he goes out of his way to be kind to these people who many people would have said didn't deserve his kindness, didn't deserve his time and attention. And he does this. And I think the most astounding one, of course, he does is where he goes out of his way and it takes him sort of three days to travel to where Lazarus, his friend, mm-hmm. has died. But he goes, he goes out of his way, puts that amount of time in uh, to go and, you know, be kind. Um, so he does all these kind things but he still fulfills his mission. You know, isn't it a great example that you don't have to think either I'm a a leader that gets things done or I'm a kind person. Can you be both? Jesus shows you that you can be both. You can get stuff done, big stuff done, (laughs) and you can be really, really kind and have a reputation for kindness. And I just think that's such an inspiring example. I don't suggest for a minute I'm anywhere near uh, that, but it does inspire me and it does prompt me to... uh, it challenges my my limited beliefs around uh, this this whole area. It does, John. It does, doesn't it? And and the, the one example I thought of, John, was actually um, it ties into this aspect of understanding people's needs and having care for them. And that is, of course, and I think he did it on more than one time in there in the gospel. But you know, the feeding of the five thousand. Mm. You know, if he'd have been a, a male, patriarchal, let's call it old paradigm leader, he could have delivered his sermon, waited for the pats on the back and disappeared into the sunset, going, that was great, didn't I do well? But instead, you know, he was, he was, you know, what have they got to eat? What can we do for them? And so, you know, the food appeared for those that were there present, a very practical ask. And it reminds me, John, something we've spoken about, I'm sure, before, Actually, with these habits, particularly with this one, I get a sense of there's no or there's little room for ego with this. Because I think in that one, when Jesus does these sort of acts, it's not from a place of ego. It's from a place of really wanting to meet people's needs and meet them where they are. Yeah, it's it's, it's giving, isn't it? You know, I read a book recently called The, the Go-Giver. You know, it, it was contrasting it to the phrase The Go-Getter. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's a book called The Go-Giver. And, it, and it's all about, again, um, the power of, of giving. And, and I think uh, yeah, Jesus, um, that compassion. And what, what you also notice, uh, David, is um, that often the compassion was, was a trigger for miraculous things to happen. I mean, you talk about the feeding of the 5,000. You know, his compassion uh, appeared to trigger a miraculous outcome. And when I talk about 
um, kindness being like this purple dye, you know, and all it takes is one drop. It's transformative. You know, kindness can be a miraculous thing. And I think um, compassion can be a miraculous thing. And, and uh, it, can, it can create um, a transformative, the opportunity for transformative things to happen. And I think uh, certainly uh, Jesus, uh, you know, wasn't looking uh, to, to sort of amaze people. He was just looking to be compassionate. But then amazing things happen. They do, don't they? And you remember them, John, and I won't name the organisation or the person, but I hope this true story. I was once at a meeting and the XMD of a very well-known UK uh, supermarket turned up at this meeting and they brought along with them a carrier bag full of food from this well-known supermarket. And all they said was, well, we know we're working over lunch. I thought some of you might be hungry, so I've brought some things along for us. And, you know, you can argue it away and say, well, they're, they're, they're probably wealthy, they're, they're XMD. And, but what point that got me is actually they had thought about me and the group and they brought along some really fabulous food for us to share. And I, and I was touched by that. And as you can tell, I remember that and I keep telling that story. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, these are, the, these are the little stories that, yeah, we keep telling. And uh, um, if we can create a library of those stories, for ourselves and our and our companies you know what a, what a great library that would be to uh wander around every so often <laughs> would be wouldn't it john be be inspirational i think and it's that's part i think as fiona was talking wasn't she about we've built the culture here so some, sometimes stories we've, we've through all these podcasts i think we've spoken about the power of stories and what a transformational difference and how they can communicate what the culture is about how the organization are using the trusted executive model so, John, so kind of deep breath, we come to the last part, really, of the final podcast, in that uh, we know that you've published a book, Coaching Poetry from a Spiritual Path, where you say, whatever your own religious beliefs, these poems will challenge you to think deeply and inspire you to take the next step on your own spiritual path, your leadership path. So this is the point where I invite you to share a poem from this book, one that relates to choosing to be kind. Yes, well, David, I've been looking through the book and uh, I don't think there is one that directly relates to kindness. And maybe this is revealing uh, this gap in my, my nine habits that I, I need to go and weigh quickly and write a poem that's, that's, that's directly about kindness. So I don't think I've got anything directly about kindness, but I've got one here called River Deep Mountain High, which I think has a um, spirit of kindness sort of woven through it because it's about mutuality, about um, that I can only get to my mountaintop if you one day get to your mountaintop. Mm. So it's about that connection and, and, and that kindness is, is fundamentally part of the, that, that giving and receiving that is involved in helping each of us reach our potential. So maybe I'll go with that one, David, as a, as, as a short poem called River Deep Mountain High. Be at your mountaintop. Let the plains be flooded with your blessed energy. Let the clouds take your heavenly shape. Be at your mountaintop in the fullness of your creation, in the bloom of your latency. Be at your mountaintop and I will be at mine. And as you survey this wondrous scene, our eyes will meet and greet within. The waters will surge in the valley of our dreams and we will lift our world onto a new domain forever each one of us <laughs> it's that wonderful you're right john there is a connection there because and i think i don't know if i shared this with you before 
my MBA dissertation was about how organizations work in silos. So as you shared that poem, you know, with the mountaintops, I had a view of actually going back to that dissertation of how people can be on their own mountaintop but not connect. So actually as you connect, and also kindness is a great way around, because it, it was around, can be around, well, how can I help you? You know, how can sales help, help marketing? And sorry, sales can help operations, for example, which they can do. So it can be acts of kindness across the departments, even just by asking a question around, you know, how are you doing? How can, how can my department help you? Is a very tremendous act. And I think just as a closing practical example, I sat on a piece of work I led with, with a managing director, again, of a multinational organization. And there was a moment where the was the sales director spoke to the ops director in that how the sales team could support the operations team. The operations director was visibly moved because they're used to fighting against the sales to get the correct information in. And at that point, at that connection, they suddenly realized that when they, when he was kind, when they worked together, that actually the business would move forward. I can still remember the look on the managing director's face as he, as he turned to me and smiled and winked at me as if to say, this is exactly what I wanted. So really that was an embodiment of this habit for me of choosing to be kind, choosing to understand what the other one needed and then saying, actually, we will take a step to meet this, these needs for you. And what happened in that instance, John, because of the final one, is then the uh, operations director reciprocated and said, how can I help the sales team? Mm -hmm. So it, it was, you know, as you said, it came back almost in that instance immediately. It might pay it forward and go back elsewhere. But thank you for this, you know, podcast. I just love this, this final habit of choosing to be kind. And as you said, as we go into um, perhaps its next paradigm of leadership, choosing to be kind is likely to be one of the, the elements of this model, which will become closer or nearer to the fore, in my view. Yeah, great to share about it, David. And uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, this is one that uh, you'll hear more about in the future, for sure. Right. Well, thank you, John, as always, for stepping out into this business world with a real heart and a passion for supporting businesses to be the very best they can. And before I close out, actually, I'm just going to do a final call for action, really, in that how can those listenings discover and explore these nine habits of trust, perhaps via a keynote or workshop program or whatever? Um, and I know you call it an invitational model, so I'm offering you a final opportunity to give an offer to those listening or invite. Yeah, the invitation is, is come and join us on the journey of trust. You know, if you're one of those leaders that does believe that what the world needs right now are leaders that trust in power, sorry, leaders that rely on the power of trust rather than leaders <laughs> who trust in power. Um, if, you, if you're one of those leaders, if you're part of that tribe, um, then our invitation is, you know, is, is to join us on the journey of trust. Join us at whatever point is appropriate for you. That might be reading the book. That might be, you know, having a workshop with your, with your team. Uh, that might be looking at the content that we've got on the website or working with us and our um, coaches to, uh, to help, you know, put this theory into practice um, in the same way that Fiona has done at National Accident Helpline Group. So, you know, that invitation is there. It is an invitational model, um, but we're here and, and ready to respond if, uh, if that fits for you. Great. Thank you, John. And I'll put the links below in the podcast. And if you're watching on YouTube, the links will be there below. So, John, as we bid farewell to this final episode, I invite you to say a few closing words to those listening. Yeah, a few closing words then is to thank uh, anybody who's listened to all, all uh, nine 
podcast, then wow, you know, that's quite an achievement. I don't know whether we're giving out certificates, David, or, or what, but <laughs> we certainly ought to be recognizing anybody who's had the stamina to stick with us to the end. And uh, I really hope that you have taken inspiration and motivation out of this and that, you know, it's it's appealed to your sense of what you think good leadership looks like and given you confidence uh, to, to, to strive for that and aspire uh, to that. Um, David and I are already talking about a, uh, you know, a possible uh, follow-up series, which we've got a few ideas up our sleeve as to how we can keep this fresh and dynamic and get some other voices involved in this discussion. So I hope that you might stick with us for that as and when we uh, reappear for the next series. But thank you for being with us for this one. Mm, thank you, John. And I know we haven't said it on this one, but I'll say it. I know that you're you're very comfortable in having your LinkedIn address being put below. And I'll just say to everyone, if you have listened to this one, or perhaps you listened to all nine, as John said, and if you have something you want to share with John or just some comments, then I know John will say you're free to connect with him on LinkedIn and to share the insights or maybe just want to be kind and say thank you to john for, for for this wonderful gift that he's given across these nine podcasts so thank you john thanks david